This is Heather Meckes, Director of Discipleship at CRC, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you, encourages you, and allows you to see how God is moving in and around you. If you would like to check out more resources, go to coopersvillereform.com. Enjoy the message. And then if you are first grade through sixth grade, you can join me down in Kids Zone. This morning we have Tyler and Ben who are going to lead us in our worship this morning. Thank you. Uh, I'm feeling good, forget my feeling, no. Let's talk about my feeling, filled with the Holy Ghost. And I ain't talking smoke. I'm talking fire, I'm trying to shock the world before they cut my wires. All right. Good morning. Uh, That'll be the last week you get to hear that. I know some of you are so upset. uh, You'll be putting that on your soundtrack. Um, But this is the last week of our series, Shock the World. I hope you are uh, not excited about this being the last week of the series. For this reason, I pray it has been an encouragement to you as it has been to myself and my family. Um, it, It is an honor to worship. Once again, I want to say that with you all this morning, and I mean that. Last week, we had a couple challenges to bless three people and to eat with three people, both of which at least uh, one of those people or families were not uh, part of your church community. And I just want to ask, how did it go? How do we do? tough, isn't it? Maybe tough for some of us, right? It's tough. I wanted to share with you some neat stories of people from our church who wasted no time getting after it. So here are three cool stories um, from our church. This first one, the individual said, I love the sermon on Sunday, thank you, and how it called us to live practically as professing Christians. I love the challenge specifically of blessing three people in the name of Jesus Christ. Monday night on my bike ride, I was able to meet my new neighbor and pray with him on starting a new job and also for him and myself, this new neighbor is a Christian, to be a witness for Jesus Christ in our neighborhood. We also prayed for the opportunity to share Jesus with another mutual neighbor of ours. In that same night, I was able to share my testimony with that mutual neighbor after praying. Pray for another opportunity to go deeper with this neighbor, all for God's glory. Wow, that's awesome. This next one, walk into my 25 cent cart at Aldi. I really like this. An older woman with a cane and walking with great difficulty was coming across the parking lot. I brought her my cart. She said, I have to get my quarter out of my purse. But I said, that's not needed. And I told her, God bless you. She was very appreciative for the help. It was just a small gesture to bless someone. I love that. Simple, small, but they were thinking about these things. And sometimes when we're thinking about them, Uh, we find more opportunities to live in such a way to bless others. Now, this last one, it's a little longer. But whoever this person is, 
we'll find you. And I want to say this, you have a gift of writing, whoever you are. You have a real gift of writing. We need to have you write some CRC blogs or devotions for us. This was really well done. And I had to trim some of it. It was the size of a book in the Bible. Okay, last Wednesday, it was really well done. Our six-year-old son woke up and was unable to walk. After the pediatrician appointment, we were sent to the ER at Helen DeVos. We spent the majority of the day there getting tests and waiting for results. My husband and I took turns eating. On my turn, I found myself alone at a food court. While waiting for my sandwich, an older gentleman slowly approached and asked where to order. I helped him and then sat down within an earshot of the cashier. When I thought I heard him change the order because of the price, I popped up and offered payment. The man turned around with a $50 bill in his hand and proceeded with the who's paying for who's lunch banter. He was probably just Dutch. He just wanted to. <laughs> I learned his name was Walter. Walter walked around the side of the booths shortly after. He laughed and smiled at me. The cashier followed with his tray and asked where Walter was sitting. I proclaimed, sit here, Walter. Walter pointed to my ring and asked where my husband was. I explained our morning and where he and my son were. Walter immediately held out his hand. I placed my hand on his without hesitation and he prayed for my child. I thanked Walter. We spent the next 20 minutes laughing, sharing stories of faith and family. Walter was 75 years old and had the bluest and kindest eyes. He put me at ease. I spent the time trying to gain wisdom from Walter, who seemed to have such a solid footing in faith. I asked about the key to a long marriage, and he said, you already know the answer, as he looked upward and pointed upward. Does it take having a meal with a perfect stranger to jolt my mind into what I need to be doing with my life? Maybe that was why God placed Walter in my path that day. When I returned to my child and husband, they were being discharged. Our son had some fluid on his hip joint that was from a previous infection, and we were told to give him Motrin. He woke up the next morning running around the house. I thank God for his healing, and I also thank God for sending me Walter. What a neat story. Thank you to those individuals who sent those out. We are greatly appreciative. I get to receive the email right away when someone sends a sent story, and it is one of my favorite emails to receive. So thank you. And we have uh, quite a bit of sent stories that have been sent our way since we added that to our website. This week now, we're going to be looking at living radically, living radically, the blessing others and the eating with others are practical. Last week was living practically. They were practical and are practical expressions of what we hope is produced from a radical faith. These are expressions. 
radical in this context, according to dictionary.com, the definition that I would use when I use the word radical here would be thoroughgoing or extreme, a change from accepted or traditional forms. This is something that is extreme and thoroughgoing, living radically. The reality is it's not necessarily radical to bless someone. Words of affirmation, acts of kindness, gifts. And it's not necessarily radical to eat with someone. Those are socially acceptable and applaudable practices in our society today, which is awesome. However, the LLS to the BELLS acronym has a radical notion and movement in it. It is proof of a radical abiding faith that will help to propel us into blessing and eating with others. It is in that abiding relationship where our intimacy with Jesus will overflow into our relationship with others. So once again, the acronym is BELLS. We looked at B, which was bless, E, which was eat, and now this week we're gonna look at the LLS quickly this morning. Let's dive into the first L. The first L is listen. In the challenge I've placed underneath it, I will spend at least one period of the week listening for the Spirit's voice, the Holy Spirit's voice. Taking time to escape from the busyness and the commotion of life is maybe harder now more than any other time in human history. This is not Eastern mysticism that I'm referring to and that we're asking people to partake in where we seek to empty our minds for the sake of becoming one with good energy, with incense burning. That's not what we're talking about here as believers. When we spend time, listen to me, listening for the Holy Spirit, it's not an emptying so much as it is a centering our minds on Jesus and his word and our mission, which is his mission for us. This listening allows racket to fade away and God's word to pierce our hearts in a new and in a fresh way. So what does listening consist of? How do we pull this off? Well, Frost gives us three instructions. He says, set aside a designated time. That means schedule it. He says, eliminate distractions. I would say that means fight for it. And he says, let God in. I would say that means pursue it. So we're gonna set aside a designated time. That means we're gonna schedule it. It's on our schedule. We're gonna eliminate distractions. That means we're gonna shut off everything that needs to be shut off and can be shut off. Don't shut off your children. You can't really do that. But if they're sleeping, that's good news. And let God in. That means open yourself up to the God of the universe, to the God of the scriptures, humbly approaching his throne of grace. Some of you who think in more black and white terms, you may just say, 
Sounds like shutting up and meeting with God. Just shut up and meet with God, John. I would say amen. That's a good way of putting it. Shut up and meet with God. The hope here is that you sit or you kneel or you're on your face. However, in whatever position for you is a comfortable position to receive from God. This is that time. And it's not you doing so much of the talking and the praying and the petitioning, not, not this time. This is us listening for him. Frost mentions that we should try to block out at least 20 minutes because oftentimes it takes us that long to just break through all of the muck and the thoughts of busyness. What happened yesterday? What's scheduled for today? It takes sometimes 10 minutes to just get through all of that. You start thinking about the laundry and, and the dishes and, and mopping the floor and what needs to be done today and my boss is a nut and, and all of this. And sometimes you have to take 10 minutes just to get past all of that. Cast it so you can just listen for the Spirit's voice. Set aside a designated time and place, eliminate distractions and let God in. I'm telling you, speaking from experience, when you do this, when we do this on a regular basis, there's something powerful and supernatural and the grips of this world begin to lose their influence over you in ways that you cannot explain. Your self-control will increase, your passion will increase, your humility, your awareness, it will all come more sensitive to you and on your soul. There's something powerful that happens when we shut up and meet with God, when we just silence ourselves to meet with Him. Something powerful happens and I can't explain it but I know it happens. Romans 8, 5, Paul writes this. He says, those who live according to the flesh have set their minds on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. This time of humbling ourselves before God is a time that we set our minds on what the Spirit may desire. And His love has a way of washing over us in a supernatural way. He has a way of transforming us in a supernatural way, beholding God in silence, has a way of making us more like Him and less like ourselves, John 3.30. There's something powerful about it. Beholding God makes us also more aware of our shortcomings, which you would say, well, that's not great. I don't want to be made more aware of the idiot that I already am, Pastor John. My spouse does a great job of doing that. I don't need God to do that anymore, right? No, wrong. You and I need to be made more aware of our shortcomings. But there's something powerful that happens in that, when we do that, it's crazy how God's grace has a way of drowning any of the guilt and the shame that would come from being made more aware of our shortcomings and filling us with awe and wonder of how 
he has taken our sins away and we are no longer the old creation that we once were. There's something powerful with meeting with God in silence where yes, I feel my shortcomings rising to the surface, but I also in way more of a deep, deep understanding. And when I'm in the moment, I feel that his grace drowns any failure or, or any conviction that would bury me into the ground. And the conviction, rather than burying me, it actually builds me when we listen to the Spirit's voice and for the Spirit's voice. I cannot explain it, but it happens. In all of this, you may be thinking, well, this is going to be hard, Pastor John. And the ask here is that you would commit just one day a week for 20 minutes or so to this. That's like the very minimum, but start somewhere. One day a week, 20 minutes, silent before God. No distractions. You're thinking maybe that's going to be really hard. It's gonna be challenging. And guess what? You're right. It is. Which is why Paul encourages us to labor with him in prayer. He encouraged the Corinthian church to labor with him. Labor with him in prayer. Terry, it's an old-fashioned word that was used more maybe 40, 50 years ago than it's used today. But it's a word that came to my mind some couple months ago when I was praying with some friends. God brought the word tarry to my mind. When I first read through the Bible, it was through the King James Version. And so I have some of this old English still in my head. And the word tarry came to my mind. It's a special reminder for me as it relates to prayer to just hang in there, to hang a little longer, to linger with God, to press in with him, to stay with him. Don't come in and out, but sit in the uncomfortability with God the Spirit. And when the phone goes off, shut it off. When your stomach is growling and you want to go appease that hunger pain, don't stay in the moment. Tarry. Tarry with God. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you spent time tarrying with God? Or is this all just a set of rituals? Do you enjoy tarrying with him. And sometimes our flesh hates it. So if you're like, well, I don't always enjoy it. You're human. But do you allow the spirit to overcome your and my weak fleshly desires to get out? Do you hang in there a little bit? Let me challenge you this morning. Hang in there with God a little longer. Because I can't tell you the times where I wanted to just get up. I wanted to stop praying. I wanted to just move on with the rest of my day. But the Lord kind of put out my heart. No, 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 no. Hang in here a little longer. And there's something special that came from that. There's something intimate and holy that came from that tarrying. So let me encourage you this morning to tarry with God a little longer. A book I was reading for a class a few months back shares these thoughts. 
Listen to this. Christian prayer is essentially a personal relationship. The grace of divine friendship unites us to God. Do you feel in your heart that you have a divine friendship with God? Not just a judicial stance with him. We do have that as Christians. That's huge and important that we are justified, which is a judicial term to share with us that we were once children of wrath, now we are children of God, that we were once guilty of sin, but now we are saved by his grace alone and justified by his grace alone and in faith in him. We have that, but do you feel like you have a divine friendship with him as well? So it's the grace of divine friendship unites us to God. Absolute poverty and misery encounter absolute mercy. In power, we put ourselves, or rather in prayer, we put ourselves in contact with a person, not with a religious principle or not simply with a power. A variation of this temptation and the temptation that the author, author was speaking about in this particular chapter was depersonalizing prayer. Like we just go through the motions. As Greg was sharing the Lord's Prayer with us this morning, I think of Jesus around that time in the Sermon on the Mount saying, listen, when you pray, do not pray like other people who are just babbling. Just humana, 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 humana. Just going through the motions. But pray rather like this. And he gives us that model as Greg referred to, and it was beautiful. He says, this temptation of depersonalizing prayer makes prayer a religious experience centered on oneself. Don't do that. We practically ignore God as a person. We dialogue with ourselves rather than with God. That's a challenge that we all need to face. We all need to work against. You are communing with God. Do you know that when you pray? Do you sense that? Do you feel that? Take some time this week, your challenge, and spend at least one period of the week listening for the Spirit's voice. Not doing all the petitioning, not doing all the talking. You need to spend time doing that. We need to petition, we need to pray for the sick. We need to do that. But just spend time listening and quieting your soul and centering yourself in Him. Don't empty your mind, allow Him to fill it. Allow Him to fill it. Getting before God and listening helps us to have a heart of humility, like the humility of the tax collector in Luke 18, when perhaps maybe our religiosity or our religious background has caused us to look too oftentimes more like the Pharisee in Luke 18. And here's the scripture I'm referring to. To some who were confident, this is who Jesus was speaking to, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, and they looked down on everyone else, this is the parable that Jesus told those people, and this is the parable I believe Jesus is speaking to us now. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple and pray, to pray, and one was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, 
adulterers. Hey, maybe the list could go on for us. Or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Great, that's, that's awesome. That, that's some signs of a potentially a mature follower of God. But the tax collector stood at a distance, not, not feeling as if he was worthy to be in the presence of God or to even call on him. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let us not be like the Pharisee in Luke 18, but let us be like the tax collector. There's something about meeting with God in silence to just listen for the Spirit's voice that in my experience really helps me to be more like the tax collector in this parable and less like who I really can naturally become like, which is the Pharisee. Here's our next habit, the other L. B-E-L, listen. Now the other L, learn. I will spend at least one period of the week learning Christ. Learning Christ. The term to learn Christ was an old expression that was used early in the Christian movement that involved rejecting a certain worldview and engaging in an intensive study of the person in the work of Jesus Christ. You would hear this term maybe, and some of you may be old enough to, to remember hearing the term to learn Christ. Have you spent time learning Christ? Do you spend time, spend time learning of Christ today? Learning and understanding the gospels inside and out. Learning how Jesus interacted with the culture of his time. Learning how he interacted with those who were marginalized and outcasted in his time. Learning how he loved those around him. Also learning and pondering Jesus's method for reaching a lost world. David Platt in his book, Radical, he writes this. He says, if we were left to ourselves with the task of taking the gospel to the world, we would immediately begin planning innovative strategies and plotting elaborate schemes. We would organize conventions, develop programs, create foundations. But Jesus is so different from us. With the task of taking the gospel to the world, he wandered through the streets and byways. All he wanted was a few men who would think as he did, love as he did, see as he did, teach as he did, and serve as he did. All he needed was to revolutionize the hearts of a few, and they would impact the world. I like that. Michael Frost quotes a theologian by the name of John Stackhouse, and he brings up the, the questions surrounding, remember those WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do? Those were some cool bracelets. Maybe you have one, maybe you are wearing one. Nothing wrong with those bracelets, but the theologian here suggests, what would Jesus do may be the wrong question. 
He says the question is incomplete because it simply points to the action. What would Jesus do? The question we should ask, Stackhouse suggests, however, is what would Jesus want me to think, be, and do in the here and now? What would Jesus want me to think, be, and do in the here and now? When we think in such a way, it causes us to examine our hearts and our motives in light of who we know Jesus to be in the scriptures and who we know he is calling us to be in the here and now. It gives us more of a holistic view, not simply uh, just a one moment, like right here, what would Jesus do here? But it's how would Jesus have me think, be, and do now and here? Here are three examples on how we can learn Christ. Three ways right here. Study the Gospels. One, one person all, uh, told me, always have a bookmark in the Gospels. Whatever reading plan you may be on, John, whatever you're reading, if you're reading through Ezekiel, if you're reading through Isaiah, whatever you read, make sure you're also spending some time reading through the Gospels. So study the Gospels. Secondly, read about Jesus, like read books about Jesus, great authors. In our day and age, we have a plethora of material, scholarly material and also very practical material on the person and the work of Jesus. Read those books. And also further viewing, and I should have put here listening. So whether you're viewing uh, a show about Jesus or The Chosen has been a big thing that's been circulating, those are great things. But also listening, podcasts. Beautiful. I was listening to one on the way into church this morning. Just a beautiful, beautiful way to stir up our hearts for Jesus. This all helps to marinate our minds and souls in the story of Jesus. And here's how Frost, he ended chapter six with this story and it made me ask this question. It provoked me to ask this question. How do you talk about Jesus? And here's what made me provoke. He, he was sharing that he was uh, speaking at a parachurch ministry event, and it was a group of surfers, a bunch of Christians who love to surf. Radical, totally radical, right? Uh, no pun intended, living radically. Okay, so th there were these Christians who just loved to surf, and he was speaking to them, he was teaching them. And he wanted to fire them up a little bit, so he asked them, hey, Who's the best surfer in the world right now? And this group just got fired up. They were just sharing names. And he said the name that came out the most of people's mouth was the name Kelly Slater. And so he said, awesome, Kelly Slater. It sounds like that's a consensus here. Tell me a little bit about Kelly Slater. And people started shouting, won the championship and 2009, 2000, whatever, a bunch of stats on Kelly Slater. Then he says, now tell me, what do you know about Jesus? And the excitement died down. Died on a cross, was buried. Three days later, rose from the dead. How do 
we talk about Jesus. I have a friend, a friend's group actually, on uh, a group chat. If you've ever been in a group chat, sometimes they can get crazy because you'll look away from your phone for 45 minutes or an hour and you'll come back to it and there's 63 new messages. And, and my group chat is filled with people who love the Chicago Bears, God bless their heart. Um, so they love the Chicago Bears. And all they're talking about is Justin Fields, the first round pick that they traded a second first round pick for in next year's draft to get, and I think a third or a fourth round as well. It's this young quarterback from Ohio State. Some of you are already getting angry. Uh, it's a Ohio State Buckeye quarterback. And, and they just talk about Justin Fields. And they just talk about how great he's gonna be. And why don't they start him week one? I hope Nagy starts him, the Bears head coach, week one. And they just love to talk about it. Now I'm a 49ers fan, so I'm talking about Trey Lance, our new quarterback. I'm saying, man, I hope they start Trey Lance. I wanna see Trey Lance. Why can it be so easy sometimes for us as people to get so passionate about one thing, but then when it comes to the thing, which is Jesus, we lack passion all of a sudden. We get fired up by politics. Well, I get me up and fired up in the morning, sipping my java and, and listening to the political mess that this world is in right now. But when it comes to Jesus, nah. oh, Jesus. Do you see a problem with that? You should. We should see a problem with that as the people of God. The topic of Jesus should fill us with zeal and passion. I'm not saying you gotta be nuts like me, but I'm saying if you're gonna be zealous about this topic, how can you not be zealous about this topic? You see where there could be a contradiction. And if you're gonna be informative, about this topic, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, football, or Kelly Slater surfing, how are we not gonna be informative about this topic? Jesus, the source and the hope of our life, where we hang all of our hope on. Paul said, listen, if he didn't raise from the dead, my life is worthless. I'm laboring in vain. Do we talk about Jesus with that type of excitement around others? When we learn Jesus, it becomes more natural to us to talk about Jesus in an informed and in an excited way. Notice, not simply overzealous. There's a bunch of people who are just overzealous for Jesus but they really don't know him. They're just excited about him and, and, and other things, but maybe they don't know him and they're not speaking of him correctly with accuracy, but informed and excited is important. This also helps us to move. It helps to move us in our time of listening. So we're not just listening to listen or being quiet to be quiet. We're not putting a time out once a week or three times a week or however long you wanna to listen to the Holy Spirit's voice, but it helps to inform our time of listening, helps to add substance to 
When our minds are filled with the truth of Jesus, knowledge about God turns to knowledge of God. We don't just want knowledge about him. We want knowledge of him. It helps move us in our time with him. Here's how J.I. Packer, the late and great, and one of my favorite books that helped inform my theology and, and really shape my theology at an early age. Here's how he puts it in his book, Knowing God. He says, meditation is the activity of calling to mind. This is a long one sentence of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about holy thought consciously performed in the presence of God under the eye of God by the help of God as a means of communion with God. It helps to form our time of meditation when we learn of Christ. Here's our last letter and then we're out. Be quick. Sent. We did the documentary three weeks ago. You heard stories from our church, of people who are actively living sent. And so here's the challenge for us. I will journal throughout the week all the ways I alerted others to the universal reign of God through Christ. So maybe you're a journaler, maybe you're not. I'm not a journaler, but I'm gonna journal. I'm gonna probably do it once a week, and I'm gonna look back at the week previously. So I'll probably do it on Sunday night, and I'm gonna look back at the previous week. But this is the challenge, you'll journal throughout the week. Some of you do it every day, some of you do it three times a week, but maybe for those of us who are not natural journalers, maybe once a week would be a good place to start. And we're gonna look back at the week and examine ourselves and how we pointed others and alerted others to the reign of Christ. Have you ever seen a trailer for an upcoming movie? You know, one of those trailers, like a minute and a half long, some of them can be up to like three, four minutes long. Trailers are tasters. They're short film versions of the soon to be released feature and they usually include the best special effects or the funniest scenes or the most romantic moments, depending on the film, of the upcoming movie. If the trailer has done its job well, people will say, I really wanna see that movie. This is a great metaphor Frost gives us for the church. If we live the way in which we are called to live, some people will say, I wanna see and hear more about what they believe. I wanna see more and I wanna hear more on what this person believes. I mentioned a few weeks ago that even though not every believer has the gift of an evangelist, all of us still need to take seriously our calling to alert others to God's reign and rule to try to think of God's reign and rule, the kingdom of heaven, the coming of a new creation. I want us to think of that as the new feature, as the featured film that's coming soon. It's coming soon. And we as believers have an opportunity to be like the trailer, just like the short three to four minute version of why people would wanna see that and know more about that. 
as a massive, glorious blockbuster film, the coming of Jesus Christ in the reign of God eternally in a new heaven and a new earth. Something that we want everyone to be a part of and see and experience in the here and now and also for all eternity with Jesus, worshiping him and living in this new heaven and new earth. Our lives should be like trailers, giving people a taste of the full thing. Are we a good living representation of the reign of God that is to come, church? Are you in your life and me in my life, are we a good representation of the reign of God that is to come? What does the reign of God look like according to the word of God? Uh, Frost, inspired by N.T. Wright, great, great theologian, N.T. Wright, says three essential elements on the reign of God. These things move God all throughout scripture. Reconciliation, justice, beauty, and wholeness. These are interwoven all throughout the scriptures. Reconciliation is at the heart of God's reign. Second Corinthians chapter five tells us, Paul says, we are to have a ministry of reconciliation. That's our ministry. As we've been reconciled to God, we seek to have a ministry of reconciliation here in this life. Secondly, justice. Justice characterizes the reign of God. The Hebrew word for justice is found over 200 times in the Old Testament. We are to be a people about justice. We seek justice in the here and now. Seems to be that's a term that is causing some churches to get a little frustrated because we politicize justice. Justice should fire you up as the people of God. Justice should fire us up. We should be for justice. Beauty reveals God's reign, Psalm 8. Enjoy creation. And as you see creation, it should point to creator in your heart and mind. And wholeness demonstrates God's reign, Jesus prayed over people, he healed people, he fed people, he loved people. Matthew 11, two through six is a great demonstration of that. And we're encouraged to journal in all of this and how we are living in that. So I'm gonna encourage you to do so. So here's the acronym in its fullness. Here's the BELLS acronym. It is BLESS, it is eat, listen, learn, and live sent, sent. Bless, eat, listen, learn, and sent. You can't put a church program to this. We can't have a church program that just does all of this. We're called to do it. These are rhythms that help us to live as sent ones in this world, blessing others, eating meals with intentionality, listening, for the Holy Spirit to speak to us, learning of Christ through his word and other biblically driven avenues in living as sent ones. This past Wednesday, we had a, um, an amazing time with, with, with our staff. We had what we called a vision cast. And so staff, 
met for worship, prayer, sharing God goals, personal goals in life and ministry, and we concluded with a meal together. And one of my big God goals for the upcoming ministry year, for those who don't know, ministry year is really September to October. September's when things start picking up again, people come back from vacations, go back to school. September, early fall to um, rather August is the ministry year. September, all the way back to August. And one of my big God goals for this year that I'm praying about is this, to know by name 72 people in our church who are living sent. Jesus sent out the 72, and my prayer is that by the end of the year, I would know by name 72 people in our church who are living sent. Male, female, husband, wife, children, 72 people in our church who are living sent. I'll challenge you to pray with me on that goal because I'm confident if 72 people would answer the call to live sent, and if we would and could encourage and equip them as a missional family, as a church, along with brothers and sisters in our neighboring churches, we can turn Coopersville, Michigan in the surrounding areas upside down for Jesus Christ. So here's what I'm gonna challenge you to do. If you're one of those 72 and you're saying, I'm in on being one of the 72, Pastor John, I wanna pray for you by name. And so if you'd go to coopersvillereform.com, if you look in the upper right-hand corner of the tabs, there's sent right up there and it's gray. Everything else is white because I clicked it and that's sent. You click that and you get to this document at the bottom of the page and it's the share your sent story document. And if you wouldn't mind, if you're gonna be one of the 72 with us, maybe you need to call the office be like, hey, I don't know how to use the computer. I don't know how to use my stupid phone. I don't know any of that, but I wanna be one of them. Give us your name, call the office, or if you're able to go do this at home, give me your first name, your last name. It says it's optional here, it's not optional for this one. And in the message, just give me two words, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. I wanna know that, that's immediately going to go to my email when you push submit, and I wanna pray with you. I just wanna pray with you and for you. I'm not gonna call you. I'm not gonna say, hey, got it. Thank you so much, Terry. I appreciate it. I love you, man. I'm not gonna call because I'm not gonna have time to call everyone, but I'm just going to write you down in my journal, your name, and I'm gonna pray with you over the year. And I, want, I would love if we could have 72 people in this church living sent. I know that's not gonna come overnight. I know it's not gonna come from a five-week sermon series on Shock the World, but if we get 72 brothers and sisters serious about the mission of Christ, living sent, we can turn this community upside down for the name of Jesus Christ in our neighborhoods upside down for the name of Jesus Christ. I wanna pray for you on a regular basis, and this is gonna be one way and would help me do so. Let's go shock the world, CRC. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. 
Thank you for your word. Thank you for your absolute truth. Thank you, Father, that so many falsehoods and everything else floating around our society and in our culture and our world today, we have something that is rock solid. Father, I'm grateful that I get to serve on mission with other brothers and sisters in Christ, that I'm not here serving alone, that we're not here just as staff serving you, but we are here as a body of believers, multi-generational, serving you in seeking to worship you in spirit and in truth and living sent for you. Father, I pray that we would be moved to bless others, to eat with intentionality, to listen to the Holy Spirit's voice on a regular basis, to learn of Christ like we've never learned of you before, Lord, and to live as sent ones in this world. I pray that our hearts would be moved to live in such a way. Father, we love you.